Welcome to the uh, third and probably uh, final of these uh, three, uh, well, of these recap podcasts from PAX 2013 for Silicon Sasquatch. I'm Spencer Tordoff. Um, I am joined by all these people. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, <laughs> exhausted. I'm just mentally exhausted. No, no, I, I, I've been like this for a while now, but, um, yeah, yeah. Let's wrap. Let's, let's, let's wrap let's about muddle. this. Let's, let's take five. Hey, slugger. <laughs> God. Uh, uh, you're all insufferable. Um, I'm joined by Nick Cummings. Back from the dead. Yeah, no, amazingly. Uh, Nay Norris? Last name Norris? Morris. I, I get confused between N and M because I'm, I'm awful. Uh, yeah, say hi for the microphone. Hi. There we go. And Aaron Thayer. What up, motherfuckers? And yes, we just got, well, I wouldn't say done. We've got a, well, I've got a couple hours probably left, but uh, we are in the waning hours of Sunday at... PAX Prime 2013. It's been a long day. It's been, uh, well, a long con, too, so. Like Sawyer? Yeah, sure, like So let's talk about our favorite Lost episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the constant, because that episode <laughs> worked so, on. So we're all, uh, we're all here talking about um, what season of... Uh, <laughs> what season of uh, of Farscape we liked the most? Uh, I've never watched Farscape, so I I, I I refrain from answering that question. I I was more of a uh, Xena Warrior Princess devotee. That's not true. I've never seen it, but Farscape. I just well, it, it's not like it's Andromeda or anything. How did you? How'd you guys feel about the the Xena game they demoed at PAX today? There's a wait. No. <laughs> Let's just shut up now. In <laughs> seriousness, <laughs> in seriousness, Nick is back alive, so we're very excited about that. And most of us are excited about that. And uh, we do have a number of things that we got to check out today. Um, Nick, in your absence. Uh, you and uh, Nay actually got to check out a whole bunch of uh, of stuff. Do you want to? Uh, what What of those would you like to talk about? Oh man! So we, uh, after I fell off the face of the earth, I uh, spent a lot of time looking at all the indie stuff. Uh, so that was primarily focused around what was called the indie mega booth, where uh, they kind of shoehorned all these often really interesting and diverse little games into the most cramped space imaginable, where sweat was dripping off of people you couldn't walk in a straight line it was kind of like going out to a bar in college on a game day uh, except I was completely sober woo sports so uh, a few games there caught my eye I can talk about a few of them there were many more that looked great uh, but just some things that stood out from my conversations I had and things Um, so a couple of iOS games that really seemed interesting to me. One was called Captain Bubble Knot. That's uh, it's coming to iOS uh, 
not trying to plug these games, by the way. I just thought they were interesting, worth mentioning. So this is like, it, it looks like Tiny Wings at, at the outset. It's like, a, you know, you got this 2D plane, like a slope, and you got a little character you're trying to like build momentum on and get points. But that's kind of where it ends. The controls are completely different. The uh, characters and animation and art style are all really charming and kind of pixelated without being like kind of generic pixel art, so to speak. Uh, got, it's got a real unique look to it. Um, it's created by this uh, by Dean Tate, who worked at Harmonix for a long time, one of the other Australians at Harmonix uh, who has recently left. Uh, so he's uh, he's working on that right now. Looks pretty cool. I'm uh, eager to check it out. It's one of those games I know I would play on my phone just in small bursts, and it seems perfectly suited to that. Uh, another iOS game. What was that thing called? Oh. Yeah, it's called, what was that thing called? Robots Love Ice Cream. It's a... Uh, yeah, Robots Love Ice Cream. Actually, do you want to talk about this, Nate, since uh, you're the one who uh, kind of discovered it? I can vaguely. Um, basically, it's kind of a, it's a little shooter game where you've got a sphere that's the Earth, E-R-F. No, that's uh, Captain was Bubble that? Oh, Bubble Knot was Earth. Yeah. <laughs> they were right next to each other, and they were both really cute and fun. Um, and it's been a long day, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Robots Love Ice Cream was a round earth that you had an ice cream truck. And you can get different upgrades to your truck, and you shoot up at the robots with balls of ice cream, and you save the planet. Um, it's really cute. It handles really well. Uh, the controls are very simple. I don't know. We'll, I don't know. I'm bad at this. Um, <laughs> We're, uh, we're obviously pros here. Yeah. <laughs> Spencer's got this thing in his hand and these headphones and this microphone. Our sound crew with the boom mic is standing behind him right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're also on a green screen, which is uh, yeah. the latest fad in podcasting. This is the extended edition that will be coming out next year. This is actually just a, a thing with blinking lights on it. The, the sound handles everything. That's yeah, Tamagotchi. <laughs> we got this in post. Don't worry about it, Nate. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, but yeah, it, there's a lot of different upgrades and different levels for it. Um, I believe it's coming out for iP iOS and I want to say Android eventually, but yeah, as, I don't know. As of now, they were they were demoing it on iPad and iPhone, and that was the first goal. But it plays really well. I liked it. Um, Nick was a bit more critical of it. Well, I mean, it's it's in early stages, and they acknowledge that um, there's not a whole lot of like. Uh, variety in the levels or the weapons just yet, but that's like, I was talking to the designer and it sounds like they've got kind of a, an arc in mind for where they want to go with things, so I don't know, like, it's, it's got a great look and uh, it feels well suited to a touch interface, so I enjoyed it for that. Uh, what else? Um, so I'm terrible at pronouncing these things, but uh, Degut Fabric is a company that's uh, based all over, they got people all over Europe and uh, I think even New York, but uh, they've got this little game that's been out for a while that they're bringing to uh, PS3 and Vita soon called Where Is My Heart. It's already on PS3 and Vita and they're bringing it to Mac, PC, and iOS. Whatever, I can't read anymore. My eyes have glazed over and I've given up on sight. So, <laughs> so these are the guys who make, are making Sports Friends, which is uh, the kickstarted collection of weird little offbeat sports games. Uh, Johann Sebastian Joust, the uh, PlayStation Move driven game that you may have seen people charging each other holding move controllers with uh, is on this as well as some other games like um, oh what was it there's a really cool one with like pole vaulting I really like it 
I got nothing. Sports friends. It's fun. Play it. So, uh, Where's My Heart is this little game that's been around for a while that are just bringing out to more platforms. It's, um, it's kind of like a Lost Vikings-style puzzle platformer where you have three different characters you control in intervals, and you're trying to get through these areas in these kind of like... It's not only your stage design in that like you have the full screen in front of you, but it's subdivided into little squares and rectangles, and you don't ever know if you go off the side of one frame where you're going to come out on the other side. So part of the puzzle is just figuring out how are all these different like frames stitched together in this mosaic, and what's the order of things. So it's a little bit hard to uh, parse, but uh, it's it's charming. It's got your main, the main characters look like little Domokun type things. It's um, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to playing more of it, especially on Vita. Seems well suited to that format. Um, let's see. And as far as the rest of the uh, Mega Booth down there, um, there's this game that was actually being developed in RPG Maker, which kind of blew my mind and made me feel like I really should have never given up on RPG Maker. Uh, called Always Sometimes Monsters, which is a um, a game about basically you find yourself out of luck and uh, you have. Um, Basically, well, actually, no, you, you talk to the guy more. You probably know this better. So the way the game starts is that you find yourself a year after you are dumped by your girlfriend or your significant other, you are broke and homeless, and you find yourself out of luck completely. Uh, your landlord's taking the key back, you can't finish writing, you're, and then you find out that your beloved is marrying someone else in one month. You need to figure out how you're going to spend the next month, whether that means you'll be going to the wedding or it means that you won't be. Um, what makes this game really amazing is that when you start out, you pick everything about yourself. Meaning, are you going to be a straight white male, or are you going to be a black female, or are you going to be whatever you want to be? And it sets your difficulty level. It changes the dynamic between you and other characters, it changes uh, the opportunities provided to you. So you get a completely different experience based on the character that you play, which is very similar to real life. Um, it's got a numerous amount of story arcs. Uh, you can go ahead and help set up a gig for your friend's band, and then you miss out on other activities that may happen on that weekend. Or if you do this activity, you may get some cash, and that could help you with something else. Um, it really looks like an excellent game, and based on the preview that we saw and talking with the designer, I'm really looking forward to playing it. And again, that's called Always Sometimes Monsters, and it's made by uh, Vagabond Dog, if you're interested. And that actually, that is a very intriguing concept, because it sounds like it uh, kind of confronts something that a lot of, well, not necessarily all, but definitely a, a notable portion of gamers are very reluctant to admit that, that being a white male is easy mode. I mean, I've... Yeah. I've come to terms with that myself, but there are many who are like, oh, well, white, em white men are so put upon. And I'm like, have you seen Congress? Or PAX. any... any or, or PAX. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wow. so that's that's really interesting. Um, what else did you have, Nick? Well, it's, it's, I think it's a great conversation I want to go down further, actually. It's just this whole notion of, like, otherness and diversity and how it's kind of been, like, I think for me, just everywhere I look, the central theme this year... Um, there are some panels that we went to, I think, that we discussed a little bit at one point, but I'd love to come back to that maybe as like an end cap to this talk. Um, as far as the rest of that section goes, uh, a couple other games I want to mention real quickly. One is called Dead State. It's a, um, a post-apocalyptic zombie survival, you know, you've heard this before, 
game that takes place in West Texas, uh, which is, as someone who's spent the last few years in Austin, uh, probably the last place I want to be when you're running low on supplies and the world is collapsing around you. But um, it looks like a combination of like The Sims, where you have multiple characters who have needs and emotions and drives, as well as like turn-based tactical combat like you'd see in Fallout. So it's this kind of weird hybrid strategy, role-playing, survival game uh, playing out an isometric perspective. Uh, what I saw looked pretty early. Animations weren't all that uh, compelling at this point. And um, the art that was in there looks pretty solid, but um, a little, and probably intentionally so, drab. Very classic look to it, like what you'd see in like Fallout 2 um, back you know, in the interplay days. I'm eager to see how that thing shapes up. Um, the, the notion of playing through a game that's like part resource and base management and part exploration and trying to get through a, a fixed narrative arc, which is what they're going for, uh, sounds pretty interesting. Uh, I haven't seen anything like that in a long time. Uh, and then last uh, is uh, so uh, BitTrip Runner 2. So this has been out for a while. Uh, and uh, the developer Gaijin Games has been around for a long time. They started out making, I think, WiiWare games like... Um, I don't know. Bitrip, insert blank here. Um, I played a few on my Wii. Um, Bitrip Runner 2 is, is uh, by far their most appealing game to look at. Uh, the, the graphical style is beautiful, great polygonal characters, fascinating backgrounds, music sounds great. It's kind of a rhythmic, if you haven't seen it, rhythmic uh, puzzle platformer in the sense that you're always moving forward, but there's a uh, kind of notation to the way that things are placed, like pickups and enemies to avoid, and you kind of just follow the beat and learn how to read it, and it's got a, kind of a, a cool zen-like experience to it. The fact that they had it hooked up on a Vita with noise-canceling headphones, which was, by the way, a necessity if you're going to spend any time in like the expo hall for more than like an hour or two, because it's so loud in there. Um, really compelling stuff. Uh, not, I, I played the first runner, I never got too far in it, because it it's ramps up pretty quickly in difficulty without being a whole, giving you a whole lot of like incentive to keep going, maybe for me anyway, but the uh, variety of characters they had in two, they had people like uh, Rez from Psychonauts, or Raz, sorry, um, and... Torrent of angry, angry fan mail right there. I know, whatever. I have a Psychonauts t-shirt. It kind of evens out. Our two listeners are going to be really pissed off about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, Kellen. Um, <laughs> we were trying to think this whole day what the protagonist's name from Psychonauts was, so thank you for reminding us. Yeah, Raz, yeah. short for Rasputin. Uh, things you remember. Uh, and I forget, is it Quote is the name of the character from Cave Story? I, they never say the name, because like, the other characters are like, there's like Curly Brace, whatever. Cave Story's good, go play it. I don't care about that right now. Uh, lots of little indie game stars show up in this, and you can run with them, and that's kind of cool. Uh, any questions from you guys about Mega Booth or any other games you saw there that you wanted to mention before we talk about the PAX 10? Well, um... Aaron and I actually went to the Mega Booth as well today, and we got to catch up with and ah yeah Mike Tipple, uh, who is working on a game called Enemy Starfighter. He's the uh, sole member of that team, but what he's done so far is really compelling. As far as I can tell, it's a uh, partially strategic uh, tactics-based game where you basically watch your enemy and then decide when you precisely you want to attack. Uh, it's a space-based game. It looks, it resembles Homeworld in a, in a very loving kind of manner, but uh, you choose your ships, you choose when to jump in, and then from that point on it becomes a space shooter. And 
you fly an individual fighter around uh, in combat against the uh, enemies that you have already scoped out. Uh, it looks very pretty. It's going to support the, uh, the Oculus Rift. And honestly, you know, Homeworld and Space Sim together is the most <laughs> the most perfect combination of games I can think of. If it's somehow tied into a 4X, then that would be maybe ideal. But, yeah. What are the it, 4Xs again? Like, explore, exploit, expand, and exterminate? I think so. It's it's kind of a crummy phrase oh, for it, actually. But reference, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but at any rate, uh, so we... Uh, so anyway, we got to talk to him, which was great, and uh, we will be posting that up later. Um, but yeah, it was it was awesome to talk to him. It was awesome to uh, see the game being played and getting attention. Because again, he's just he's one guy. He uh, you know used to work at Bungie. He was the reason that Halo Reach had the space level, um, and that was it's. It's cool that he has those influences, and it's uh, it's cool that he's you know making it happen, making the indie dream uh, happen for him. So, yeah, that was that was kind of the highlight of our morning. Um, so why don't you launch into the PAX ten? Yeah, so PAX ten. In case you're uh, you've never been to PAX or you're not familiar, uh, every year they select uh, ten games uh, that are either recently released or coming out soon from uh, indie developers to showcase and have people vote on to choose like the best game from the PAX 10, basically. Uh, this year there were a lot of great games, uh, that I, at least games that I've been a fan of or things I was excited, was excited to see for the first time. Uh, but a good number that had already come out. So uh, a good, good example is uh, Flambeer's Ridiculous Fishing, which is a, a, an iOS favorite from earlier in the year. Uh, it's a ridiculously stupid game. I've had a blast with it. We've talked about it extensively on the site. Uh, as far as very simple three-stage gameplay design goes, it's like flawless example. Great humor, cool style to it. Really glad to see it featured here because I think there is, you know, a really important place for simple games that have such good style and good um, ramping of difficulty and progression that you don't really notice it unless it's like if it's done well, you don't notice it at all. And I think Ridiculous Fishing is like the best I've seen so far on iOS this year. Um, another good example of that would be uh, Rogue Legacy. So uh, if you've been unfortunate enough to follow me on Twitch TV, you've seen that I've streamed a few hours of that over the last few months. Uh, it's a Castlevania meets roguelike style game where you, um, you your character dies and it's permanent, but you can upgrade your base and basically start building stronger and stronger characters throughout time as you go on further and further. Um, it's, uh, yeah, so cool stuff like that, you know. Games have been out for a while. Uh, but there are also some, uh, and the third example is uh, something I haven't played yet, but uh, it's called Gunpoint. Uh, it was developed by uh, Tom Francis, who is a, um, a writer for PC Gamer for a number of years, who uh, over the last few years has been developing this game on his own uh, using Game Maker. And uh, it's, a, it's a really cool uh, side-scrolling, kind of like stealth, puzzle, I don't know what you call it exactly. There's a lot of dealing with like machines and uh, systems and rerouting things, basically using like security systems and buildings to your own advantage as you try and get through. Really cool look to it, really good style, looks like it flows really well. And um, just recently uh, the creator announced that he was able to quit his job as a writer to go full-time into game development and after talking with him today for a while, 
Uh, turns out he's going to be uh, practicing up learning Unity over the next few months while he works on his uh, next project. So uh, the fact that he was able to make enough money off of a game maker project uh, kind of adds fuel to the argument that you know, with games like Hotline Miami and Spelunky being built off of Game Maker as well, uh, it's a legitimate development platform. It, you know, yes, it's very accessible, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's limited either in its scope. So that was really cool too. Um, other than that, you know, lots of great games there. I had some fun with the Scapegoat too. Definitely the most clever title I've seen in a while. Um, the title itself, I don't mean the game. The game is clever too, but the title is what sold me. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, a good selection this year, I think. Do you guys see anything else up there? Well, I could rant for hours about how brilliant, brilliant the Stanley Parable is, but I'm sure our listener is uh, tired of that, and that you guys are. So, you know, you should play yeah, the mod. Hi, hi, mom. By the way, yeah, our our one listener. Um, it was kind of just to go on aside. It was adorable to see uh, Spencer's love of that genre, and. Uh, just eagerness to get into it, but no, I'm, I'm embarrassing him. So right next to that, that game, Enemy Starfighter, um, was catering to birds. Yeah. Yeah, so this, this thing, the, the developer wasn't nearby at all and was nowhere to be seen, but you sit down, headphones are required, and it's a pixelated art style, kind of reminds me of Super Brothers a little bit, and you're a guy in a dress shirt, some jeans, and you're on the, the roofs of a pixelated 2D cityscape, and then you, you fly, your arms beat like wings like a bird. And so you fly upwards, and while you're doing this, there's no goal, there's no um, set object to get. You just fly around with your man bird arms, and then the screen starts to glitch out. And you can collect bubbles while you're flying, but the bubbles don't really do anything. They're just there. So this obviously seems like some sort of a game design experiment. The, a few people while we were waiting in line to speak with Mike played the game and all walked away with a, I don't know how to describe this game feeling, which I think as a developer, I'm sure, especially indie developers, probably like that, to, to have a little bit of a trolling session with their, their audience. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely intriguing. I don't know really what quite I'd describe it as. It wasn't it wasn't narrative, and it didn't really have any game like objectives. It did game like mechanics, and then it had uh, increasingly disconcerting uh, glitches in audio and video, which were very very clearly deliberate. Um, there, there was no way to mistake it as, as just the game breaking. It was, it was clearly meant to do that as you played. And so, yeah, it was really, it was really quite curious. I'd definitely be interested to hear more about that. Um, I don't know, you know, what precisely the uh, the developer is going for, but I think it's something to the effect of, you know, what we, what we thought. So. I haven't played it. Is it more of like a, do you think it's more of a statement or it's going somewhere you haven't seen yet or is it just a game that you're supposed to enjoy for the simple fun of its mechanics? It's definitely not that last one. Like, the, the, the way that the, um, the glitches are introduced are so, uh, so jarring that it's not something that you can just kind of veg out and, and relax and play. 
it's definitely very it's almost difficult it's if it's a statement i'm too dumb to understand what the statement is or it's just so experimental that it's the work of someone who clearly has a creative mind but um is kind of fucking with expectations i guess it's not a game per se just like i don't think i would call or you guys already haven't called Johann Sebastian Joust a game. It's just an experience in some way. This is more of a game game, but you know, there's a different element to it than just you're completing a level. Right. And and with Joust, I I definitely call it a game, just not a video game. Whereas uh, catering to birds was definitely a video, but I'm not entirely sure it was a game. Like it, it had video game mechanics. I don't know that it constitutes a game. But I don't know. I'm I'm struggling along with my associate's degree here, trying to use big words. So, uh, so was there anything else from the PAX 10 uh, from the indie booth that we wanted to cover? Um, from the indie booth, there was the game. One second, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, Gravity Ghost, and Gravity Ghost plays as the spirit that is going through the galaxy trying to find her best friend. It's this little fox and goes through the story of the two trying to get reunited. Uh, for some odd reason, the fox is, is gone and you need to go through and what happens is you, you bounce using gravity between these different planets and you collect the stars which open up doors which act as little portals between different levels. And there's no way to die in this game. I mean, you're already a spirit. You, can't do anything it's just it's gravity and it's figuring out how to direct yourself to catch all the stars so you can't get too far off you, there's no way to to fail um, the artwork is simply amazing uh, it everything looks like it's painted by brush and uh, has just a really um, my vocabulary is just not here right now uh, it's it looks good. It's pretty. <laughs> um, no, I, I really encourage you to check it out. Um, Nick might have better words. He took a look at it also. But I think that it it played very well. The mechanics were great, and the aesthetics were wonderful. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, uh, in addition to our investigation of uh, independent games, we also... Uh, decided to stand in line for one big uh, AAA blockbuster title, and that was Titanfall. Oof. Titanfall. Um, which is being developed by... Respawn. Respawn. That, I knew it was something evocative of the fact that Infinity Ward is now a, a hollow shell or something. Quad damage entertainment. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, juice entertain. What? What are you doing? Uh, so, Titan uh, Titanfall is one that I've been following pretty much as long as I've uh, heard of it. Uh, I'm not really sure what the story is supposed to be, but then this is also the type of game where story is not necessarily the most important thing. Um, it's kind of sci-fi, I think, to warring corporations, something like that. But it's this very interesting mixture of uh, the the gameplay is very 
it feels a lot like Call of Duty, which makes sense. The creators of Call of Duty are working on this game. Uh, with an added sort of jump jet parkour aspect to it, where you can leap up walls and onto rooftops and uh, move very fluidly through, through the level. And then uh, every so often, I think, I think kills accelerate it, but uh, you routinely get access to a large robot. And then the, com the combat shifts when you get your robot, because then you're moving slower, uh, you have a much more powerful weapon, you're typically focusing on the other robots as, uh, as targets, but you do away with um, you know, regular infantry very quickly. And so this all kind of blends together in a very, very kind of frantic way uh, that's, that's very enjoyable, at least I thought. Um, granted, I was, well, everyone's going to scoff and roll their eyes. I was struggling against the fact that I was playing on a controller, which is just not my, it's just not my favorite control method. I'm not good at it. The controls felt very good. I am just no good at using them. So, uh, Nick, what were your thoughts? Um, as somebody who was going into this expecting, my expectations were that this is the team that created Call of Duty 4 and the previous Call of Duty games. But Call of Duty 4 really was what revitalized the online multiplayer shooter experience. You could argue that Halo 3 did the same thing about the same time, but uh, Call of Duty 4, without question, surpassed Halo 3's audience and became a, a huge phenomenon. It really catapulted the series from well-regarded reasonably well-selling games to the biggest thing in entertainment. You know, everybody's seen Call of Duty everywhere. Every nine-year-old wants a copy of the game, which is a terrifying thought, but we won't go into that. So I was going into this thinking, these are the guys who basically perfected the Call of Duty online model with four, and then, you know, another four or five games have come out in the series since then after they kind of parted ways. But um, if this is their attempt to really revitalize and do it again, kind of capture lightning a second time, uh, it needs to be tight, fast, and feel at the same time feel completely different. So immediately accessible, but completely fresh and um, in insanely engaging. Uh, having played one round, uh, I, I, I can say they've got my attention. Uh, the, the movement is what feels the most satisfying about this game. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can talk about the guns, I can talk about the melee, those all feel super solid. The sound work sounds phenomenal, all that. You know, it's a triple A game in every sense of the word, but. The movement and the variety between the, the Titan mode, where you're actually inside these, these giant mechs, these robots, uh, or when you're on foot, um, each feels different but complementary uh, in the sense that when you're on foot, you're very mobile, you're agile, you can double jump, you can climb up walls, you can run along them. It's kind of got like this mirror's edge with a jetpack feel to it in the sense that like there's not a whole lot of nuance to controlling it like that, but it's not, platforming shouldn't be the biggest challenge either here. It's more about maneuvering into the right position, just like in Call of Duty. You want to get the right vantage point, you want to get to the, the, the higher ground, the point so you can defend better. And uh, this just kind of speeds that up. Like you see a second story window, you don't need to climb the stairs from the bottom floor to get up there or climb a ladder, you know, ponderously as people shoot at you. You can just jump into that window. Or you can get on top of a building and go over it rather than run around it. So. The level design seems to reflect that really well. There's a lot of variety to the terrain within buildings, on top of buildings, around things. And uh, because you're more mobile, it makes it much easier to take down Titans in a lot of ways when you're on foot than if you're in another Titan. Because then it becomes like a sparring match where you have a lot of armor and high pow firepower and you can kind of strafe a bit, but you're limited to just you know ground level lateral movement. 
So it creates this interesting tension of and give and take between people, like one team having all these titans, one having none, and kind of this back and forth push where people can like hijack them and try and take control or shut them down, blowing up the pilot inside. Uh, I can go on and on about like how this all played out. We only played like a 10 minute game. But what I played was, uh, it was the first time I felt like a real rush playing an online competitive multiplayer shooter in a very long time. Uh, in the same way they Call of Duty 4 did. And whether or not this is going to last for hours upon hours like it did for me the first time is, remains to be seen. Like Obviously, my life's in a very different place now where I can't necessarily spend three or four hours on Call of Duty 4 at night uh, without sacrificing everything that's important. But at the same time, it's it looks really good. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to playing more of it. Yeah, I had a great time because I uh, won the match. <laughs> So. <laughs> it's the only reason he had a great time. No, which is, it's a big deal for me because uh, back in the Call of Duty days, and even now with Battlefield, I don't fare too poorly. Like, I'm, I'm okay with shooting games, but it's never been about the winning aspect. So, But the fact that I felt maybe a bad word choice for, for video games, but empowered uh, in that game through the mech aspect, um, it was very fast and fluid like Nick is talking about. I had a lot of a Battlefield 2142 sort of feel yeah. to it, um, which I liked, and that was good because that was a great concept that never got followed up on until recently. So um, it feels like Call of Duty as far as what you would expect being a AAA game, as Nick said. But the mech element adds that little bit of a hook to have strong ground combat feel like you're not totally overpowered or underpowered when one drops on the field. So even as a foot soldier, you can still take those mechs down when they spawn for you. But when you're in the mech, you are Titan in the game, as they call them. Um, you do feel like the gameplay changes suddenly, almost like when you go into a vehicle in Battlefield. When you're on the ground, you can snipe people, but then you go in a tank and you'll take on other vehicles. So. They've managed to have a couple of tiers of combat and that verticality with the jetpacks. So I went up to the roof a bunch of times and just shot the idiots who were just jetpacking between buildings but not actually doing anything. Way too easy, but, you know, PAX demo. Nobody really cares how they're playing. Um, but I, I had the, the same reaction. It was a rush. I wouldn't be able to likely spend the same amount of time as I used to because I'd save that time for Battlefield 4. <laughs> which <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just putting the cards on the table. Titanfall seems great, but I would still play Battlefield 4. Anyway, so long story short for that, it was very, very cool. I'm glad to see more. I was pissed that the Xbox 360 controllers were used with probably a PC build, so we didn't get to try that until Nay here happened to just take uh, the initiative, walk by the Battlefield 4 booth, ask some dude who was playing it to handle the controller, so we got like a five-second... Uh, handle time. You're welcome. Yes, thank you. Uh, so we all got to handle the three, the Xbox One controller briefly, which feels a lot lighter. Uh, the sticks have, you know, all this crap that people will care about, but it's a nice controller. So Titanfall was cool. Cool. Uh, Nay, did you have anything to add on Titanfall? She's shaking her head. I shot people. <laughs> you shoot the guns at the mans, and then sometimes you shoot the guns at the big mans. <laughs> so speaking of gender stereotypes in gaming... Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. Actually, I played as a female character. I was really impressed that there were three characters allowed 
and one of them was female oh, in cool. the demo. Just like Call of Duty Ghosts has female characters this year, so this is the year of first-person shooter gender change. Not dogs in Call of Duty Ghosts. Not so. <laughs> <laughs> Except you know, if they put that in there, I'm sorry. They would just they would say bitch on there. That, that's what they would say if they're female probably. Dogs in probably Call of Duty. Probably. So we don't want that for the dogs. Uh, not only was my character female, but she was also a person of color, and that was pretty interesting. Okay, yeah, that that is, yeah, <laughs> uh, that is cool. Um, I mean, I guess I guess Halo has had female characters since at least three, but you know they're all in armor anyway. So what was the Soul Calibur one, the fighting one, where there was a, a female Spartan with the boob plate armor? Uh, that was, I think, that was Dead or Alive, wasn't Dead it? Or alive, yeah. Oh yeah, that was Dead or Alive. That was the stupidest. Well, I mean, it's Dead or Alive. <laughs> There's no redeeming value. The, the very fact that beach volleyball ever entered into the equation. Yeah, they, 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 Okay. To wrap it up, we uh, we actually got out of panel um, well an increasing amount of time, but uh, a little while ago, um, with Jeff Green and I'm going to space the other two names. Uh, Nick, why don't you uh, take the the wheelhouse on this one? Oh, did you say take? Okay, sure. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm yeah, tired. we're struggling here. Um, <laughs> so, Jeff, Jeff Green from like Computer Gaming World slash Gaming for Windows and PopCap. Uh, then there was um, Eric uh, Neustadter from uh, Microsoft. He's like Xbox Live Operations guy. And then uh, Dan Amrick uh, from Activision. Apparently, I am talking wrong. Okay, yeah, she's she's grounded apparently, so just go. That's uh that's um it's, it's, I'm still working on that. So anyway, it was three old dudes playing a text adventure game in front of an audience of hundreds of people. Which is, you know, we're packs, so that happens. Um so they talked a little bit about um, why text adventure games matter, why they got into them in the first place, talking about the history of Zork being developed at MIT almost like I guess over thirty five years ago now. Uh, which, you know, hey, <laughs> I feel older all the time. Uh, Zork is, uh, you've probably heard of Zork, but if you haven't, it's, it's one of the original, like, type in a command, see what happens, text adventure games, and uh, it's pretty, pretty legendarily long and complicated. So the idea here was that they would crowdsource commands, and they would project the, the results on a screen, and people would take turns uh, saying what they should do, one of the uh, aforementioned old guys would type it in, and we'd see the, the result. Uh, we didn't get too far. We, we did manage to get a few points, uh, further than I've ever gotten in Zork without dying or resorting to an FAQ. So uh, that was kind of cool. Um, more than anything, though, it just kind of reminded me how funny and fun it can be to take like with interactive fiction as an approach to game, gameplay and storytelling. Uh, there's been a bit of a resurgence lately in uh, interactive fiction, as it's commonly called. Uh, people using tools like Twine um, to write interactive fiction, put it on the web really easily, that kind of stuff. It's a fun little tool. Uh, it's a good way to uh, tell a story without having to you know, do any sort of graphical or even complicated programming uh, work. So uh, I thought it was fun. I thought it, it kind of showed that the writing still holds up in a lot of ways. It's still a pretty funny experience, and you kind of get that communication between the narrator and the player uh, in a way that you would from like a very tongue-in-cheek book it's it's um should be no surprise that um douglas adams was uh 
such a big fan of it that he actually went and wrote the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy game uh, after writing the novel. So um, I thought it was fun. What did you guys think? Have you guys played Zork before? Uh, I've played a bit of it, and I've played some other text adventures, and yeah, I was totally happy to uh, to check out the panel. It was very entertaining. Um, I don't have maybe as much text experience as uh, as maybe well, somewhat older people, because my uh, the first camp family computer we had did have some basic graphics capability, and so I was always playing graphical games, but no, I do have an appreciation for that style. Uh, it it's kind of close to my heart, like the uh, like point-and-click adventure title. It's uh, titles are. It's uh, sort of the predecessor. That's also maybe a little bit more cerebral, but uh, but both are you know very well regarded. And well, adventure games have made a comeback. Uh, text games really just haven't. So it was uh, it was cool to see some actual veterans, you know, reflecting on it and uh, you know playing with a group, which which was pretty cool. Isn't the term they call it interactive fiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've I've known of Zork for a long time, but I've never actually played it. Um, and I guess play is an interesting word for it too. But uh, it was something else to be in a room full of people who have no social filter. <laughs> shouting out commands because how they had it set up was if you wanted to do the command for the the text input you would go up and donate a dollar at least to pa uh, penny arcades Re requested you didn't have to right you would uh, want to at least try to donate they were they were getting uh, child's play donations so um got a couple hundred dollars by the end of the the panel but eventually they just kind of devolved into you know, utilicilt wearing mega nerds shouting out like, "Why didn't you drop the sword?" and stuff because somebody dropped the sword when they shouldn't have. I admit. And that was their prerogative. Yeah, they paid their dollar or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, that's. And I the want. Most of us were too lazy to get off our asses to go do it. I wanted to be the guy that stood up and said, "Hey, he paid for that shit. It doesn't matter if he wants to drop the sword. You know what? That's his experience." So, uh, but it was fun, in despite the social awkwardness, uh, to experienced that in a group um, one of the panel members I don't recall which one was talking about how I think it was maybe Jeff Green how that is quintessentially the Zork experience of having people work together and saying okay well what what command should we try should we go east or should we uh, should, should we pick up the axe or what should we do so being uh, seeing that firsthand was nice and it was uh, enlightening to see the history of the the text adventure like that uh, Nady, do you have anything to add on, uh, on Zork? I'm still mad about the guy who dropped the sword. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, then there was the guy who, you know, turned off the lantern and we all died, so. It was kind of interesting, though, because there were a few people who obviously had played through multiple times, and they knew some of the commands that other people would not have thought of. But they wouldn't go up to the microphone, would they? Most of them. No, there's a cosplay. Yeah. Kill themselves by dropping off at the second floor. So uh, anyway. I, I do believe that is like the third floor at that point. Third floor. Eh, she'll be fine. Well, breaking news. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. Pax cosplayer. <laughs> if, if we start screening at the end of this recording, then uh, then cool. But otherwise.
Yeah, it, it just bothered me that there were a lot of people who did seem to know what to do, and they kept just yelling it, but they wouldn't actually go up to the microphone to tell the panel what to do. Either way, that's, that doesn't really matter. But And that was kind of the last thing we did, wasn't it? It was, and then we ended up here amid uh, Mirror's Edge cosplay being... Yeah, well, I mean, I'm doing uh, I'm doing audio coverage of cosplay, which for some reason is not getting any hits. So. So she's wearing white pants. With, yeah. <laughs> it's really a striking resemblance to the source character. Um, all right. Well, uh, do you guys have anything to add off the cuff? Uh, maybe some some parting thoughts. I mean, like this is Aaron's first packs. This is Nay's first packs. This is Spencer's packs. This is my ninth. I don't know, curious to hear, like, your overall closing thoughts as we come up on this last day before we take off. And then also, Spencer, like, your thoughts on how you've seen the show, show evolve and, like, how you... This is, like, your second year not bringing your own computer, right? So, yeah. what's yeah. that... What's it been like to give that up? <laughs> oh, everyone's just playing fucking League anyway. I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, that, that was the reason well, uh... I... That was the reason I stopped. Like, the last year I, uh, I went to BYOC, you know... Actually, next year, PAX will just be a MOBA. Oh, God. That's been a running joke, is that everything is... PAX East, PAX MOBA. <laughs> PAX MOBA, it's, it's actually a MOBA. There's, like, red and blue-shirted, and no, we're not discussing this. Um, no, the, the last year I went to BYOC, because uh, the first two years it was great, and there were, you know, contests all the time, and uh, there was always a TF2 server with somebody, you know, playing around in it, which was super cool. And then the last year I went, it was like everyone was in these little enclaves playing rounds of League, and nobody was on the Team Fortress server, and there was just so little it seemed like going on. So, yeah, I just don't go anymore, and it's fine. There's Emerald City land now, uh, this October, so that's, that's my landing. No bad horsing? Uh, the prank this year has actually been a little more subtle. It's a, it's a fake news service. I'll tell you guys about it uh, after the fact, but... <laughs> Last year it was the Lando Society, which was pretty cool. It was Lando a, Society? Yeah, it was the uh, a bunch of people wearing Lando capes and mustaches, uh, waving signs and yelling "Never forget." And <laughs> it was it was amazing. It was it was really something. Um, as far as how this packs compares to previous years, it's just uh, I don't know. I always get so overwhelmed by packs. Even like this is easily the most productive I've ever been at a packs where. I'm recording. I'm you got your headphones. You got your microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm being semi-cohesive, and even now it's like, oh well, I'm not actually getting anything done, or I, I I record an interview and then I'm like, oh fuck, I just want to go take a nap. Like I, I don't know. It's it's been it's been educational, but it's uh, it's I don't know. I don't know that I'd say best ever. There's creeping corporate tendrils making their way in and it bothers me a lot. Yeah, what was up with that Comcast giving away a Mustang thing? Oh, Jesus Christ. And then the uh, the fact that the... Huge booth for that. Uh, I think Xfinity by Comcast. Comcast, everyone. Oh, God. And then, there's the, and then there's the line room, which has... Mountain, Mountain Dew. Dew and Doritos. It's like together it, at last. It could not be any more. If we're lucky, we'll have Mountain Dew flavored Doritos by the end of this convention. Not since uh, peanut butter and jelly have a better combination oh come God. together. It's it's Microsoft's doing, of course, oh, with yeah. with Mountain Dew and Doritos. They know their target audience. It, the only way it could be more stereotypically offensive is if uh, Call of Duty 
was was involved too. Maybe maybe some MLG badges all over the place. It's just like Dorito flavored dogs that maul people. <laughs> I heard that there might be a Utilikilt booth selling them somewhere here. That I consider less corporate and more very terrifying. Well, it's, we it's fine. Utilikilts are harmless, you guys. I don't know why you're so. Because but there are so many. It's yeah. so startling. It's and a pandemic now. Like between. The Utilikilts and fanny packs, I'm overwhelmed. As my, I've been to many Comic-Cons, but as my first packs, I, I was not briefed and prepared for this one. Yeah, so Nick, Nick asked my feelings being my first pack, so this ties into it. So I'm sorry I have to go there. The, the fashion aspect, which I'm not even talking cosplay, that's fun, that's, that's cool. I'm not even talking about the kids that wear just tails, which could either be their first foray into furrydom Really shitty and lazy cosplay. I don't know. Let's but size eight-year-old shitty costumes. Let's do that. You know what? I will. <laughs> I, I like to think of myself as the Louis C.K. just stand-up act, but all the time. Like, I will just make fun of children, but no. You're just, you're just that good. <laughs> you know, I will say, though, most of the children I've seen here have been with their parents, and they've almost all the kids I've seen have been dressed up. Yeah. And I saw an adorable little Flash in a glitter outfit today with a tutu, and I was really happy. There have been some fantastic children cosplay aspect so but I guess I never really expected it until now and the, the making fun of utilikilts is because what is with this like geekdom wearableness like I have to wear this stupid steampunk goggles when I don't wear anything else I have to wear a stovepipe hat or something I've got a utilikilt like I have to wear my geekdom I don't get it it makes me laugh I really shouldn't be the mean kid but I will laugh at those people sometimes but Point is, you're making <laughs> you, you fun wanna, of children. No, I'm not. Ta I'm talking about the okay. grown men. Yeah, but you're doing all of it. You're okay. trying to call yourself Louis C.K. You're you're being that guy. That's true. Spencer wants to say something. I can see his eyes rolling at me. Like, shut up, you. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm pretty sure the goggles are being handed out somewhere. I think those are coming from some booth, which is why people have them on their heads. I'm also not pretty all. sure they do nothing. Well, yes, the goggles have never and will never do anything. Plus two to awkwardness and shit. So, I, for my pack so far. So if we're looking at over these three days, I think I, I'm gonna write something up about kind of more of the first timers guide and things you should and shouldn't do or ways to tackle it. But I really enjoyed it. Um, I haven't even done any of the tabletop gaming. We did some of the PC free play and some of the retro console things, the ground control booth. So we hit the majority of that, uh, all the expo stuff. We've really seen pretty much all of it by now between the, uh, the, the uh, four of us. Um, but at the same time, I'm totally exhausted. I don't know. There's a four-day aspect to this, but I really don't know what I'm going to do on my fourth day tomorrow aside from panels, right? I think it would be a wrap-up, go do something I haven't seen yet. Um, so I think... I would definitely strategize differently and not go all out on Friday, the first day, save some of it for the later days, and uh, pre-plan a little bit more. So I've had a great time, though. All right. That's uh, reasonable. Nay, your uh, thoughts. This is also your first PAX. Um, what do you think? It is my first PAX. Uh, I really have to say I'm... I'm impressed and shocked and happily pleased with how many courses there have been there's another fanny pack walking by us how 
I'm really impressed with how many courses there have been about gender diversity and including the lesser represented different cultures and people in games. Uh, it's been some really interesting conversations. I know Nick has a, a bunch of views on it also. Um, he was in most of the panels with me about that when we disappeared magically, but we did not die. Um, there have been a lot of just really great dialogue about how to create community, how to involve people, and how to not be afraid about including these roles in your video games when you create and design them. Uh, so. All right, that's great. Nick, you are the most veteran of all of us, I think. You've been to nine out of the 10 uh, PAX Primes there have been. How does this one measure up? It's, uh, it's really weird to think about the fact that I've spent some like 27 days here of my life. Like a month of my life has been PAX. Uh, so that, that says a lot about You're me. Old. Yeah, I am old. Uh, it's just funny to think, like the first time I did this ten years, nine years ago, I guess, um, we were sleeping out of uh, my friend's van in a parking garage in the bottom floor of the Bellevue Convention Center where it was held the first couple times. After playing like a 3 a.m. game of Munchkin with MC Front a lot, and there were like you know 300 people there maybe at that time, and it was a 24-hour thing, so it was kind of weird. It's changed a lot. There are probably, like, I, I would imagine, over 100,000 people come through here over this weekend, this four-day weekend of craziness. Um, seeing some trends I like, seeing some trends I don't like. I like the a number. I like the number of families coming. There are a lot of people bringing their children. Uh, you know, not super like not like infants necessarily. Although there was one infant at the giant bomb panel, which is just Jesus Christ. But um, a lot of kids. You know, some dressed up, some not. All looking at games they want to play. A lot of good conversation around that. I think it's. I think it's good that people are treating this not as something to hide from their kids to protect them from, but to be like. Games can be a really good way to learn how to learn stuff about the world or express yourself or solve problems and think critically, and that's pretty cool. Uh, also, like Nate was saying, just the amount of discussion around like uh, privilege and inclusion and uh, diversity is, it's been a big, a very hot topic in gaming in general the last few years, particularly in the last few months. But uh, it feels like everywhere I go, the conversations have been around women in games queer people in games and like the game industry and gender inequity and all this stuff and it's been really cool to see so much keep coming back to that because I think we're really at a turning point where so many the status quo gamer will no longer be the driving force I think sooner or later and the vast amount of money that's made I mean Facebook games kind of heralded this with like your you know your mom playing Farmville and spending a lot of money on Farmville while you're scratching your head and wondering Jesus Christ why would you do that you're just clicking on cows but you know, well, the ESA statistics have already come back, where 55% of your population that's gaming is male, but 45 isn't, and it's already showing that that is changing. Like those those numbers of the stereotypical white male straight gamer isn't the status quo anymore. So yeah, I it's I'm seeing that here in the people who are coming. I'm seeing that in the panels. I'm seeing that in the discussions. It makes me excited, and I think that's reflected too. And how many indie games there were, you know, yes, crammed in this tiny little indie mega booth, but like so many cool ideas being discussed, so many people from all kinds of backgrounds bring, making games, bringing them here to discuss them, to present them. I would love to see a lot more non white male developers here 
but there are people working on games from all kinds of different backgrounds. I think the indie scene is ripe to explode with creators of all kinds of backgrounds who've never thought about making games, maybe because they wanted to avoid the, you know, stereotypical misogyny of the industry, which, you know, frankly is still alive and well in a lot of places. But I think this is um, a really interesting turning point for the industry, and I think I'm seeing that reflect in impacts. And I hope to see this trend continue in uh, future years as well. Uh, just please, less corporate bullshit in the future. I don't want you trying to give me a car from a cable company. Like, that's, that's distressing. Uh, that being said, thank you for keeping the rock band stage alive. Thank you for keeping tabletop, and thank you for keeping it in the basement far away. And thank you for just making PAX awesome, everyone who came. You guys hate on tabletop no, so I badly. I just, over there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, that's about an hour, but that's, um, you know, two podcasts worth uh, from all of us here. We will, well, we'll see you back on the uh, the regular site for our usual, um, more ordinary coverage.